Welcome to the Blue Jays from Away podcast, episode 72. In this episode, we bring you my interviews with Dunedin Blue Jays shortstop Logan Warmoth and New Hampshire Fisher Cats hitting coach Hunter Mentz. Welcome back to the Blue Jays from Away podcast. We're brought to you by the 2018 Toronto Blue Jays Minor League Handbook and the premium content section of Blue Jays from Away. This year's edition features profiles of over 250 players in the Toronto Blue Jays organization, while giving you all of the info you need to follow the Blue Jays minor leaguers in action. The premium content section has photos, video, and scouting reports to supplement the profiles. The 2008 Toronto Blue Jays Minor League Handbook and the Blue Jays from Away Premium Content section. We've got you covered. Now available at the Blue Jays from Away shop and at Amazon in format for Kindle and in print. Welcome back to the Blue Jays from Away podcast. I'm joined by Logan Warmoth, shortstop in the Toronto Blue Jays minor league system. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, welcome to the Blue Jays. Obviously, this is your first spring training as a Blue Jay after being drafted in the first round in 2017. Uh, what have you? Uh, what do you think of spring training? You know, what are you? What are your thoughts and uh, in your first professional spring training? Yeah, it's going good. Um, uh, it's just the grind before the season. Uh, try and fine-tune some stuff that you uh, worked on in the offseason. It's nice to have all the coaches on you, so many uh, player development, people working in your corner, um, just trying to get you ready for the season. And uh, I assume you've been down here for a fair bit because you, you're saying it's a grind, so you've probably been down here uh, prepping even before the mm-hmm. spring training, you know, um, be here by date was, was even here, right? Yeah, I got here actually the 16th of February, so had that and then I also did the um, strength camp which was a little like in like November-ish and then I also had an instructional league um, which was after the, the season last year. So basically you've spent more time here than you than not. Uh, what have you done when you went back home for the offseason? Um, nothing nothing too crazy. I went up to, to visit North Carolina a couple of times um, for a wedding and then just go, just go visit some of my old friends. Um, other than that, just trained and worked out. Really, nothing, nothing too crazy. No vacations. So hopefully next off season. Yeah. And now that you're in the pros, you had a chance to play uh, your first season last year. What do you think you you learned over the course of that experience playing 65, 70 games uh, with Vancouver last year? Um, it's. I mean, baseball is a long game, so it's 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 a marathon, not really a sprint. So you can't be too high one day because the next day you're going to you have a game. Uh, you can't be too low after a bad game because less than 24 hours you're back on the field again. Um, and just learning to maintain that um, I think is is key. Just um, gives you an advantage each, each day if you can go in there uh, just like the last day. And how is that different than your experience playing for college? Because um, I think you just play on weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and and then here it's just every day, all the time. 
yeah, I mean, I, I tried learning it some in college. I mean, freshman year, I felt like I kind of push, put a lot, a lot of pressure on myself, like thinking I had to get a hit every time, whatever. And um, the, the older I've gotten, the, the more I've realized that you're going to fail. And the, the, the quicker you can learn to deal with failure, um, the better you'll be at this game. So just, just move just move on. I mean, you, like I said, baseball is a great game because if you go for four with four strikeouts one game, you're going to be in the lineup again the next day. So that's now, is it nice that you're here in Florida? Because you're a Florida guy, aren't you? So um, is it nice that you're down here in Florida? I, I think your your family's in Orlando. Um, close by to have them near you when you're in spring training? Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, like like you said, it's only about two hours away, so it's not too far at all. Um, so it's nice. They haven't, they haven't came up yet. They're actually in Arizona visiting my brother. My brother plays with the Angels, so they're over there. So that, that would have been cool to, to be next to them, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to be in Florida, especially in great weather. So, Now, when you were drafted by the Blue Jays, you went in the first round um, as the Jays' first pick in 2017. Uh, you know, what was your draft day experience like? Were you in touch with the Blue Jays? Were you in touch with any other teams? Um, how did it sort of shake out when you were finally uh, ready to, or finally finding out that, it was going to be the Blue Jays, or did you find out only after the fact? Yeah, I mean, I, I really just let it all into my agency and kind of, uh, it kind of, it happened so fast. I mean, we were, we were playing in a, in a regional with UNC a week and a half before, before that. So, um, right after that, I ended, then we had to clean out all lockers and stuff and, uh, say goodbye to the coaches because, um, who knows the next time I was going to see them and they knew I was going to be picked. So they, they obviously, um, had their meetings and stuff with me and, um, it just happened so fast that I tried to enjoy it. Um, I didn't try to like look too far ahead. Look, uh, and I let my agent just kind of handle it, handle the process out and just let me just enjoy it, kind of. Did you do anything special to celebrate the fact that you'd been drafted? Uh, nothing too crazy. We had a couple family friends over. I didn't want it to be like a big thing. I mean, I didn't want to be sitting there. And something happened in the draft or or something. I didn't want to. I just wanted to just be there with my family and some of the closer friends. So, Now, if, if I'm not mistaken, your brother is a sportscaster or an anchor for uh, an Orlando TV station. He talked about you on the air. Is that, is that nice to have family in the media who can yeah. sort of, so, who can sort of uh, congratulate you publicly? <laughs> yeah, him and my dad are both TV anchors in Orlando. Um, my brother my brother gives me a little bit more shout-outs than my dad does just because um, he's, a, he's a little bit higher up, so he can't be showing too much favoritism. He leaves that to the sportscasters sometimes, but um, yeah, it's 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 cool. I mean, um, just been watching him, been watching my dad like my whole whole life on the on TV and and see how professional athletes are, are around him and just seeing that I feel like helps me a lot too. Now, your older brother is a pitcher, I think, in the Angels organization. You mentioned, um, did he give you any advice about going into pro ball? Uh, what to expect? Um, what to really focus on? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different in his situation. He was a he was undrafted, signed out of Florida State um, as a free agent, and he kind of just each day was going into it like he didn't want to get fired. So I mean, knowing that, having that in the back of my mind helps me put into perspective. Like, go out every day, do what you because it doesn't matter when you're picked. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, he was in double A double A all last year. He's been um, into a handful of big league games this spring, so it's. It, it shows that it doesn't matter where you were picked, where he wasn't picked at all. I was first under. It helps me keep in perspective that 
nothing's given yet. I got to earn everything. Now, do you have any goals for this coming season uh, in 2018? Um, yeah, I have some some personal goals. Um, I just want to first and foremost just stay stay uh, healthy, stay on the field as long as I can. I mean, um, you can't get moved anywhere unless you're unless you're healthy. Um, and just work on better routines and just becoming more of a pro each day. Now, I wouldn't, you know, be able to live with myself if I let you go without asking you about Vancouver, mm-hmm. without asking you about winning a championship in Vancouver. Uh, you know, what was that like, first of all, your, you know, your first extended stay in Canada, probably, mm-hmm. your your first taste of pro ball, really, and your first, I guess, professional championship. So, you know, what was all that like? It was, I mean, it was awesome, and you're, you're with, 25 to 35 other guys that all they were here a lot of them were here from spring training to to Vancouver so that they they were there for a while and um, just had a good group of guys and I mean it was it was really fun just going out there and competing at a high level and trying to win a championship because a lot of time in pro ball you're um, playing and it's the end of the year and everyone's tired and so the last couple of weeks are dragging when we were in the position of we were clinched in the playoffs so we were trying to fine-tune everything at the end of the year and it was it was fun just to work on your game that way by competing at, a, at the best of your ability rather than just walk through the finish line kind of now when William Willett struck out the uh, the last guy what went through your mind what did you do um first I threw my I threw my glove up and then looked at just looked around me it was it was a crazy atmosphere it was awesome um 6,000 every night doesn't matter if it's a Wednesday uh, afternoon game there's always going to be a sold out crowd so it was it was crazy. I mean, um, it just showed. It just um, put it in perspective, like just that grind, like, like I talked about, um, make, makes it all work worth it at the end. All right. Well, we hope that you know the grind in 2018 is going to be worth it. Hope for another championship from you, and we hope that uh, we see you playing in Toronto within the next few years. Thanks very much, Logan. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm here with Hunter Mentz, the hitting coach for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Uh, Hunter, you know, tell us about what your journey has been like so far in, I guess, professional baseball, college baseball, uh, coaching baseball. Because so I know, I think you came from a college program before joining uh, the professional ranks here in the Blue Jays organization. What can you tell us about, you know, your trajectory here to uh, to, to New Hampshire? Well, I, uh, I guess I'll go back to college. I played at the University of Missouri, played outfield um, there from Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, played three years at Missouri. I was drafted in 2006 by the Marlins. Played parts of, uh, I think, five years with the, with the Marlins, and then uh, played a year, like a year and a half of independent ball, and then I went back to school, um, went back to University of Missouri, and I ended up being an undergraduate assist- assistant for two years, a graduate assistant for two years, and a full-time assistant for two years. Um, and then last year, I took a job with the Padres, and I was a hitting coach in Tri-Cities, which is the same league as the uh, as Vancouver in the Northwest. With them for a year, had a great opportunity to come over here with the Blue Jays and, and be in AA up here in New Hampshire, and uh, jumped all over it. So what's the difference between coaching hitting in college and coaching hitting in the Northwest League and coaching hitting in in AA in New Hampshire? 
I think the higher you go, the more independent the player is. Um, the more less, I guess, the less reliant they are on a coach in terms of uh, tinkering with things or doing things differently or whatever it may be. At this point, they've played at least for a, at least one full season, most of them more than that. And they've kind of built their own routines and figured out what it is that they need for themselves. Um, and through that process, they become a little bit more confident in, in their abilities and what they can do. Um, when you trace that back all the way back to college, um, you're instilling a lot of other things that you don't have to instill here, that these guys have already went through college or lower-level minor leagues that, that they've kind of gone through. So um, that structure of it's completely different, and it's uh, it's just providing them with diff- different information, I think, here, and, and there's probably more information available to you. Um, and it's just about helping them to, to get them in the right spot where they need to be to uh, compete every day. Now, I just talked to Matt Young just a few weeks ago uh, in Lansing, uh, and he was telling me that really they're not even focusing about on mechanics too much. Um, they're really focusing on approach. Um, I, and I believe I read something from uh, one of the hitters there who said that the mechanical changes he made were made with uh, Guillermo Martinez, um, whereas in Lansing he's working more on approach. You know, is that sort of the same philosophy that you're working with here in New Hampshire? Yeah, I think uh, I think hitting coaches in general, um, really, no matter really at what level, um, I think swing changes are are more so to be made in the off season, um, and especially at this level because at this level, and we saw it with Guriel earlier this year, you're you're literally one call away from making it to the big leagues, and so. At any point, a guy could get called up, either to double A or triple A, and you get called triple A, you're one call away there too. So it's really hard for guys to make any sort of mechanical changes here, knowing that they still have to perform. Um, sometimes at the lower levels, I think you're given a little bit more leeway to be able to make those changes, and you have some time to make those changes and see if they work. So here it's a little bit different. There's a little bit different pressure, I think, that comes along with it. So like with us, it, it is it is mostly um, approach-based type stuff, but... If there are mechanical changes to be made, the mechanical changes usually come from the work that they do. So, for instance, if if a guy is, let's say, his swing's really long and you want to try and shorten the swing up, you just do it every day in BP with the kind of work that they're doing. It's There's not a whole lot of talk of what your hands are doing or what your feet are doing. It's more external-based um, thoughts of what you're seeing and, and how it's coming off your bat. And I think through that, guys make changes that way. Well, that's, I mean, that's an interesting thought. And is there a, you know, an overall philosophy that you're working on instilling? Or is there more of a, you know, player by player, case by case uh, thought process? I think uh, it's probably case by case, but my overriding, I guess, ideas probably all come from getting a pitch that you can hit in the count that you can drive over an outfitter's head. If, if you can consistently do that every at bat that you have, and so there's there's a lot of pieces to that. There's a there's a pitch selection piece. Um, there's an intent piece to what you're trying to do to the ball when you hit it and trying to hit it over somebody's head. And you kind of put all those things together, and I think um, especially nowadays with with how players are looked at, how hitters are looked at with OPS and and slugging being way going way up and, and how people look at those numbers and strikeouts not really being that big of a concern anymore. Almost like you almost have to make those changes down here too with mentality and approach and what they're trying to do as well. So 
those are kind of some of the things that, that we go through on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, it's it's just getting a good pitch to hit. And if you can get a good pitch to hit it over somebody's head, then you're in a pretty good spot. Now, the thought about hitting the ball over the outfielder's head, I mean, that's really you know consistent with what seems to be the philosophy of hitting today, which is get the ball in the air. Um, get it in the air. Don't Try not to hit it on the ground. Uh, hit it out of the park if you can, obviously. Um, but what do you say if there are guys here who tend to be more ground ball hitters and that seems to be their game or has been their game for you know as long as they've been playing? The thing about it, at, the, at this level, and I think as you go higher and higher, um, your ability to be able to get base hits on ground balls is it becomes slimmer and slimmer. And so a lot of times I think you have to kind of look at it as, is it a swing thing that's making them hit it into the ground? Is it a timing thing that's making them hit it into the ground? Is it an intent thing of what they're trying to do is hit the ball on the ground? Um, so I think, I think what you end up seeing is everybody at this level, um, there's not a single guy that can't hit a ball over 105 miles per hour. And if you have that ability, you have that sort of bat speed, you don't get to this level without having that then you can drive balls out of the yard. And ultimately, like hitting the ball in the air, I don't think is like, I think people kind of misconstrue that a little bit as to where like, they're wanting high fly balls. And that's not necessarily the case. Like a line drive is still a ball in the air and, and a driven fly ball is, is really what you're searching for. So it's, it's one of those things where a guy, you're exactly right, has to buy into it and has to buy into the fact that they aren't trying to hit the ball on the ground and they want to try and drive the ball in the air. And, and a lot of times it's it's just reprogramming their minds because a lot of times they they have been told just to hit the ball on the ground and run and try and beat it through the infield or whatever it may be. And throughout time, their swing has turned into that. And so what I've seen and what I've noticed is guys that like try and drive the ball in the air and they try to drive the ball in the air consistently – their swings change the other way. And it's it's sort of the mentality and the approach that takes it that way, and then it makes a change to the swing. So from what you've told me, actually, it's it seems like your thought on how to change someone's swing is try to get them to change their results, um, probably in batting practice first or in the cage first, and and then let the, the changes come from the outside in. Absolutely. we The thing that we do every day, almost every day, um, is take batting practice, and it, it can become the the best used time if you allow it to be. Um, and if there are changes that you want to make, you have to be able to see if those changes work or if the result of what you're trying to do works in BP. And if it does, then then you can take that stuff to the game. But I see guys a lot of times in trying to make changes, and they just do it off the tee, and it works. But anybody can make a change off the tee, and it and it still works. So. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the in the stuff now, like we're going to start getting into here probably within the, the next couple of weeks is using TrackMan as a tool during batting practice just to give them instant feedback of how hard balls are coming off the bat. Because I'm, I'm a huge believer. We track every ball that's hit over 100 miles per hour, and, and we make a big deal out of every ball that's hit over 100 miles per hour because if you can do that, if you can barrel balls up and hit them over 100 miles per hour, it doesn't matter if it's on the ground or if it's in the air or – if you're hitting at 100 miles per hour, chances are you're going to get a hit. So it's it's the idea of instilling that mentality of you hit the ball hard, you're probably going to have a pretty good chance. And you see that in BP of, of just the intent of what they're trying to do. And um, the more and more they see it, the more and more they start to make the changes. And then you, it's funny, you can, you can look at a swing from day one and then 
watch it from the side and never talk mechanics of it, but talk about driving a ball over somebody's head. Or, and then you might watch that swing in two months, and it looks like a different swing, and you might think that they consciously changed what they were trying to do with their swing, when really they didn't. It was just the intent and the approach of what they were doing. All right, speaking of you know, balls hit over 100 miles an hour, hit over 105, who's leading the team in, in balls hit over 100 miles an hour? I think that's probably pretty obvious, but glad he's got like, it's like 47 or something like that, and it's unbelievable. He, we were actually looking at it the other day just to, just to kind of give it some perspective, but the top 20 balls that were hit, the hardest balls that were hit this year in the big leagues, and of the balls that he would hit, he would be, I think, number one on the list of the hardest ball. He hit one 120 earlier. And he would have, like, five of the top 20 in the big leagues this year. Yeah, so it's, it's unbelievable. He's had, like, four or five of them at 117. He had one the other day at 120. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how much he barrels balls up. And when he does barrel them up, he's a big dude that swings hard. It's going to be coming off hot. <laughs> All right, so who's somebody who's who's got a lot of hard hit balls that we may not expect to see that number or that consistency of hard hit balls from? Um, well, the guy that keeps I, I keep getting asked about is Kevin and uh, Biggio, and he's got twenty something that are over hundred miles per hour too, and I mean you can see by the power numbers those are that's they're running out of the yard when he's when he's doing it because. The path that he takes is is a path that's kind of an uphill path, and so when he's making it making contact, that it's like at his swing's ultimate impact point, it's a ball that's going up in the air. So he'll hit balls that are 105 miles per hour that are straight up in the air sometimes, just because that's kind of how his path is. And um, when you look at him, he's not a real, he's kind of an unassuming looking kid in terms of the strength, but the way that the swing plays and the way that it works. Um, his consistency to get the ball in the air when he does, it's, that's how you see those numbers. All right, I'm going to ask you about a couple of guys that I think, I think people want to hear about, especially uh, you know, Max Pentecost is one, and then, and then we'll get to Bo Bichette, who may be struggling a little bit lately, but uh, he's still able to do some things on the field as well. But uh, look, first, first Max Pentecost, then Bo Bichette. Uh, Max is, you want to talk about a guy that can hit some balls hard. He hits balls really really hard and it's just the consistency of how much he does it um right now i think there's and he'd tell you there's just too much swing and miss um strikeout numbers are a little high and and his ability just to put balls in play um isn't great so it's one thing i talked to him about too is like trying to hit a ball over a guy's head early and i think hopefully what that's able to do to him is is zone in and maybe shrink his strike zone down a little bit because Right now, I think he's ended up, the strikeouts are coming from putting himself in such bad counts early and chasing early and then being in a 0-2-1-2 hole instead of a 2-1 count or a 2-0 count, whatever it may be. Um, and I think as he starts to go and as he starts to get more comfortable, he's going to start playing um, a little bit more now. He was on a pretty limited uh, schedule early on. So I think as he starts to get some more at-bats, um, inconsistent at-bats, I think you'll start to see those numbers kind of even out a little bit, um, just based off his track record and what he's done. Um, and then Bo, um, the other guy that you had asked about, I mean, he's another dude that, I mean, he hits balls hard consistently too, but it's the same sort of thing for him. Um, his biggest thing is just controlling the strike zone. And I think um, he probably got away with it. I, don't know, I didn't see him a whole lot last year, but I think he probably got away with it a little bit more against guys that didn't have as 
good of off-speed stuff or couldn't repeat the off-speed stuff as well as guys here do. Um, and I think he's learning. And that's and to be honest with you, this is probably the best thing for him right now is to just struggle. And because you're talking about a guy that's never hit below 360. So for him to struggle and, and have to kind of go through some hard times of kind of figuring some different things out about his swing and, and maybe understanding that, okay, I, I'm not going to be able to hit that pitch as well as maybe I did last year or whatever it may be. And he starts to zone in a little bit more, and he starts getting better pitches to hit. And his ability, he's got an innate ability to barrel balls up. His hand-eye is unbelievable. And so it's when he strikes, shrinks the zone down, and, and he's so good with two strikes, too. It's his ability to do some of those things and compete when he's up there. It's, it's going to play for a long time. Now, before I let you go, I, I did want to ask, you know, how, what the experience for these guys is like. Last night they faced Scott Copeland who, you know, he's got major league experience. He's a guy who's been around a long time. From what I could see in the stands, you know, they were having a lot of trouble with the sinker, which, you know, at times looked like it just disappeared on them, especially when he was throwing inside to righties. Um, and he would, like, double, triple, quadruple up on the curveball like he did to Bo and almost dare them to hit it. Uh, you know, what kind of experience do you think the players get from a guy like that who can throw sharp off-speed stuff with control, be able to spot the ball probably better than some of the other guys that they're seeing in this uh, at this level, and he can do it much more consistently. Yeah, it's big. Um, just because I think I think what he does really well in in the older guys that we face in this league um, that have really good command, especially command of their off speed stuff, is if you aren't doing something well, especially against him, he's going to keep doing it. And, and he's going to keep doing it to you until you either, one, lay off of it, or two, you show that you can turn it around and hit it hard. And the good guys that we face, they, they'll expose you by continuing to do those things until you prove that it's not going to work anymore. And that's, I think, the cool part about um, seeing our guys and seeing our guys face guys a couple times or whatever it may be and understanding then they're starting to learn what it is that they really do well and then on the flip side of that what they don't do well so they can kind of combat that whenever they face the guy again or whenever they go in the cage and, and want to work um, and that's the cool part about seeing these guys because it's double a because you're probably a pretty competitive guy who has probably put up some numbers and has had some success and then you get here and you're going to struggle a little bit and for them to be able to figure those things out of what they do well and what they don't do well and have to work through those things and figure it out, that's the cool part about seeing these guys throughout the year. All right. There's one more guy I want to ask you about. You know, being Toronto-based club, and, you know, I'm based in Toronto, and a lot of our readers are, are Canadians, we want to know about Connor Panis. And I was really heartened to see last night when there were some guys who looked like they were a little late on the, the last pitcher uh, who was throwing 96, 97, 98. Connor Panis really squared one up, hit it to right center field, his pull side, hit a long fly ball off of him. What can you tell us about Connor and how he's doing this year so far? Uh, numbers don't show it, but he's progressing in the right way. Um, I think he gets, and if, if you look at what he did last year and how much of a late starter he was and, and how hot he got in the second half, I think you'll probably end up seeing the same thing this year. Um but he works. He works and works and works, and he wants to do really well at it. Almost to the point where it's it eats at eats at him too much to a, to an extent sometimes. So where he's just got to be able to let things go instead of dwell on them. But 
he's been really, really fun to work with. I thoroughly enjoy having him and being in the cage with him, being in the dugout with him. And, and the thing, and he's a perfect example of the things that we're trying to work on and we're trying to do is, is when he struggles, he just has a link to his swing and he'll get out and around balls and he'll end up jamming himself. And, and then he starts to try and cheat to fastballs or whatever it may be. And then he swings at bad pitches in the dirt. So with him, it's, it's, to talk to him about making mechanical changes and doing something different with his hands or turning tighter to his body whenever he starts his turn, whatever it may be, that stuff doesn't work. It's put a machine out there, let's put it up there really hard, and let's go into left center for as many as we can. And for him to be able to go hard into left center, his hands don't work away from his body. So his swing naturally kind of shortens up. And the more and more he does that and kind of commits to those things and that work, I think you start to see better swings at the plate during games and, and kind of like what you saw last night. Great. Well, thanks a lot. That's Hunter Mentz, hitting coach for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. That's all for episode number 72 of the Blue Jays from Away podcast. I'd like to thank Logan Warmoth and Hunter Mentz for joining us, and thank you for listening. Come on back soon, and go Jays go. Higher, higher, raise up your head.